Hello and welcome to The Culture Bar, a panel discussion podcast exploring the arts and music world. In this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by one of our recent signings, British pianist Mishka Rushdie Moman. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast with us today, Mishka. And I mean, the timing could not have been more perfect. Not only have you recently signed and joined the HP family, but it's also World Piano Day at the end of the month. So like we couldn't we could not have timed the podcast more perfectly. So thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. I'm so um, thrilled to be part of the roster now. It'd be lovely to first um, hear how you got into um, performing the piano. Like, can you remember where that first sort of interest sort of came about? It was wholly accidental, actually. Um, it really started because of my sister, who was learning the piano already. My sister is four years older than me. Um, and at that age, when I was about four, four or five, um, I copied absolutely everything my sister did. <laughs> um, in fact, looking at my diaries from then now, I mean, it must be a nightmare for my sister because I was sort of just clinging to her the whole time. Um, but she was learning the piano, so I had to do it too. And we had our little upright piano in our house. Um, so I think I just climbed up and started playing around and then um, started having piano lessons at school. And I don't remember the exact moment when I decided to become a pianist but it was I think fairly immediate without without understanding any of the implications of what that meant um without having any any idea of um of what it meant to 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 pursue music as a um as as one's life as one's career um but I just I can't remember ever looking back or ever considering doing anything else really after that and is your did your sister still play the piano or was that it after after you got your interest was it <laughs> no she continued for a while and she played the cello in our school orchestra as well oh, wow musical yeah. family then <laughs> yeah well we were lucky um I think we we went to a state primary school but it was sort of I think growing up in the in the 90s and early 2000s we were just very fortunate that it was normal to have music lessons at school to have a school orchestra um it's actually quite devastating now to think about how those structures are disintegrating in front of us it was so fundamental having that music education for you because Mm. it's your career now and it's a shame that some people now potentially might not have that as a as a as an option for them in schools yeah i think that's true but um maybe it's not it's not even only because it became my career i think even if it didn't it's it's so important to have that sort of background in one's education and that exposure to um to this great art which we're I think very much in danger of of losing Mm. we're very fortunate that you had that education at school because of of where you are today um are there any particular pieces or composers that you particularly enjoy playing like is did you mention I think in a previous conversation something like you enjoy playing Schubert is that is that right or have I made that up no it's um it's Schubert is very it's absolutely central um to my life I've always loved his music and I think um with every year it seems to become more and more um one of my one of my big focuses um I'm 31 now which is the age that Schubert was when he died and I feel quite um, aware of that strangely um, playing his music playing a lot of his music this year um, and sort of the idea that we're carrying his music on for him and um, I think every everybody who engages with his music and um, and plays it is 
is doing that. Um, I love I love the humanity in his music. I think there's a great a great sort of unflinching honesty. He looks um, right into the the face of of darkness sometimes, and um, and I have the sense when I play Schubert or when I listen to him that um, there there are no limits to what what he can express. And there's also a great sort of humility in in the way that he expresses it, a great simplicity, which which I find um, really almost unbearably moving. Um, I don't think I could live live without his music. He's absolutely my sort of desert island composer. <laughs> wow, that's quite like I, I was going to ask if there are any other composers, but he Schubert clearly <laughs> lists very high in your list. But is there yeah. any other composers or um, pieces of repertoire that you particularly enjoy performing? Um, well, I think also, you know, as part of my Holy Trinity, there's Mozart, Beethoven, and then, um, I mean, the father of them all, Bach. And um, I'm also very much interested in English Renaissance music at the moment and have been playing a lot of Bird, Bull and Givens. So that's quite interesting because I was going to ask you, actually, um, if it is, I was going to say just the pianoforte. Obviously, it is, that's it's not just. But are there any other sort of keyboard instruments that, like in the family that you perform on? Like, do you perform on like the harpsichord, or even have you tried the organ, or uh, have you, yeah, have you explored any of those? Yeah, I think if I if I couldn't be a pianist, the only other thing I could imagine being is an organist, probably. <laughs> um, it but... looks complicated. Uh, whenever I've seen, you know, p- people performing, it looks fiendishly difficult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I don't think I could do that, but um, I I love the harpsichord. I love the the forte piano. Um, I've never had the chance to perform in them because I think logistically it can be quite difficult. But it's, it's one of my um, my sort of dream projects actually is to com- combine all three in a concert so that um, the audience can hear all these different sonorities and how um, how we can express different things even in the same music on different instruments. Um, but I think it is valid to play to play this Renaissance music on the modern piano. Um, I mean, I think even even then it could be played either on the harpsichord or on virginals or um, on, on the organ. And I think fundamentally, you know, it's not an arrangement. It is still part of the same family. Um, and I think I think it can work very well. We need to make yeah. that happen. We need to yeah. get a concert where, yeah, we yeah. can explore all yeah. the different keyboard instruments in one yeah. concert that sounds amazing yeah and i think it, it's it should be a core part of our repertoire because it's such glorious music and it's so underplayed and um yeah i sort of i have the the zeal of an evangelist you know <laughs> <laughs> I like, um, go around kind of um, forcing people to talk about it <laughs> yeah. well you're definitely not forcing us today we, yeah. we enjoy talking about it yeah. um mm. i mean i think in general in england you really you can't get away from from the Tudors, and um, I mean Shakespeare is such a fundamental part of the culture and of the English language, and um, and I think the music of that time needs to be brought to the fore more as well, and not not only in the context of um, early music groups who are wonderful, but I think it can sort of expand beyond that as well. Have you done that? Is, do you have examples of where you've done that before with performances, or do you have plans in the future of bringing that out more? Yeah, both. I mean, um, I like to combine it with with other parts of of my core repertoire. Like, I'll often play um, a bird fantasia in you know in the middle of the program, perhaps in between. I don't know a piece of Beethoven, then a piece of Prokofiev. It could be almost anything. I think there are um, 
there are links to be made between later repertoire which are not always obvious. I mean, they might have more to do with character or texture. Um, it's I don't think that we have to we have only to play sort of one period of music at a time. And I think with with great pieces, it can sit sit very well, sit very well with other with other pieces. Um, I think one thing I particularly love about Bird is how comfortably the the secular and the religious sit together, um, which I think is a feature of of a lot of really profound music. I mean, I think that's that's obviously true in Bach. Um, I think that's true of Mozart as well. Um, in Bird, there's I think just as much profundity and joy and lightness to be found in you know in in a galliard as there might be in one of his plain song arrangements. Are there parallels then, would you say, between, you know, the Elizabethan music and repertoire that is more modern, like the repertoire of today? Yeah, I, I think I think absolutely that's true. Um I think for example, if I if I think about Fantasias that were written at that time, they have a sort of freedom of approach which um which is, is very much a part of, I think, how music is written today and, and in the 20th century. In general, there are a lot of parallels, kind of really striking parallels between the Elizabethan period and the modern day. I mean, there's, um, I think, coming out of COVID, we're very aware of the feeling of plague, um, the threat of terrorism, um, recession, isolation from Europe. Um, I think all these things are kind of um, really quite remarkably similar, but also, um, maybe on a on a deeper level, there's there's perhaps the sense today that things can change can change very quickly, and that sort of the pendulum can can swing in one way or another. Um, I mean, when I think about Bird, who's born in sort of the last years of Henry VIII's reign in the Reformation, and then um, and then Mary Bloody Mary comes back, and then it's Catholic again. And you know, yesterday's orthodoxy becomes tomorrow's heresy. Um, so I think we're, we're grappling with with a lot of those issues as well today. Are there any particular sort of career highlights up to this date that you like that you have? Like, is there anything particularly that sort of sticks in your mind as a particularly amazing like experience for you as a performer? Yeah, um, I think well, sometimes a lot of the really important milestones are are internal ones. Um, Sort of when you feel you've you've developed um, your understanding of a certain piece, um, or you you sort of rise to another level um, in a performance. I think actually during the pandemic, playing in streamed concerts from Wigmore Hall was was um, a pretty unforgettable experience. Just playing in an empty hall and um, and yet having this feeling of connection with people listening all over the world. And I think all the performers who who gave stream concerts in that period were were very conscious of how hungry people were for music and how much it meant to them that they were still able to experience that in a way. And then when audience started coming back again, it was it was just it was so special to feel everybody's energy in in the hall and to feel how much this music meant to them. Um, which is why I think just going back to what we said earlier, so it's more critical than ever that we that we protect that. Um, because I think that the public has a great appetite and need for classical music, which is perhaps not re- not recognised by the government or not recognised by politicians, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, if anything, those sort of months or year or so of lockdown actually yeah. showed how much live music 
how important it is to our exactly. lives. Yes. And we were so lucky that, you know, people like you performed on a digital platform so that mm. we could all experience still that music even when things seemed quite bleak. It was Yes. Well I think as well the presenters who made that happen were were very courageous. I mean I, the Wigmore Hall was absolutely incredible um doing that. It was a real lifeline I think both for for audiences and for, for performers. And I suppose following on from that, is there anywhere um, that you would love to perform in? And I'm thinking of, it could be a venue or a particular country. Like, is there anywhere that sort of springs to mind that you'd really love to perform in? Um, it's quite hard to say because different venues can be special for different reasons. I mean, there are so many kind of intimate places which are, you know, exquisite. And then, of course, there are the the numerous great halls of the world. Um on an entirely personal level, it's my dream to go to Hawaii, my uh, childhood dream <laughs> to go to Hawaii. So, are there any f- music venues in Hawaii? I think there I'm are, to think. actually. Oh, yeah. We've got to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be lovely to explore your interests around the instrument because obviously yeah. your career is, is performing, but are there is there anything else that, you know, beyond the instrument that you enjoy that you're, you're interested in? Mm. Um. I love to go on long walks with my dog. Um, I go for a walk every day. Um, we'll often go to Highgate Woods, which is an ancient woodland, um, absolutely exquisite, very near to where I live. Um, we'll walk across the heath. Actually, lockdown was um, pretty... It's, it's an awful thing to say, but in a way it was... There, there was something idyllic about it because, um, because, because we had this amazing spring with sunshine every day and we'd go for these long walks across the heath and um what what dog, it was what just so peaceful dog do you have um she's a whippet oh yeah, lovely yeah. yeah she's 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 gorgeous um and i love to go to art galleries and look at paintings um i particularly love renaissance paintings um one of my one of the big highlights for me recently was the was last year there was a um Raphael exhibition at the National Gallery which was incredible um i i mean i don't i don't actually know that much about art but i when i look at paintings i sort of i love to compare them to different pieces of music i mean they might not be music of that period like sometimes i'll look at a Raphael painting and think oh that looks like a mozart aria or you know that you know that looks like a, a bach prelude or something like that um so it's just um it's wonderful actually to make these connections between colors in in painting and the colors that we're trying to express when we when we play definitely and yeah. i think we're so lucky in london that we have these amazing places that are just free to exactly. us exactly yeah like court hold institute at the somerset house that where yeah. where we are today and like you say national gallery like yeah. it's we're we're very very lucky to exactly to have that. yeah exactly um and I love TV. I adore, I adore TV. <laughs> Can't beat a bit of Netflix, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about uh, composers that have inspired you, you know, Schubert. But uh, what about actually living composers? Like, is there anybody you'd love to to uh, collaborate with? Mm, I think I think it's really important that we, as performers, engage with the music of our day. Um, we're very lucky as pianists that the repertoire is already extremely rich and um, and expansive, but we can always add to that. Um, so far, I've I've very much enjoyed commissioning a couple of solo pieces. Um, I commissioned a short piece by the wonderful composer Nico Muley and by my friend, um, the American composer Vijay Iyer, um, which was 
nice because it had sort of um, jazz influences in in it, um, which spoke to his background. And more recently, in collaboration with the Lucerne Festival, where I was able to make my debut last summer, um, I had the opportunity to commission a piece by Eloise Werner, who's a wonderful um, singer, vocalist, and um, and composed a, a brilliant fantasy for the piano, which fitted in very well to um, a fantasy sort, sort of themed recital that I did there. Um, and I also, I love, I love Brett Dean's music, particularly also George Benjamin. Um, I really adore and um, Mark Anthony Turnage, for example. There are so many brilliant composers. I mean, Tom Adas, of course, is, you know, um, one of the greatest living composers. Um, Kurtag. Yeah, I mean, I, I could go on the list of <laughs> these. <laughs> we almost sometimes um, program seems to put um, a, a large emphasis on these amazing works that have, you know, that have, that have been around for a very long time. And it's yeah. it's there's so much rich repertoire yeah. out there from modern composers. to, to It's striking, actually, how quickly things can become core repertoire. Like um, when I think of the Ligeti studies which were written in the 80s and they're now absolutely standard i mean every every conservatoire student is is learning them and playing them and i think that's becoming true for tom addis's pieces as well um so i think i think we do have this immediate response to um to great pieces i think when when we hear something great we know it um and it immediately um, i love that it immediately gets absorbed into the into the canon Thank you so much, Mishka, for joining us um, for this Culture Bar podcast. It was really lovely to uh, have you on and hear your experience and your interests. And yeah, we can't wait to see what the year brings. Thank you. And that is it for this episode of the Culture Bar podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Mishka for joining us uh, for this particular podcast. Uh, thank you to Merlin Thomas, our editor, and Robert Coltrane, who composed the theme tune music. Please do subscribe or leave us a review. You can visit harrisonparrot.com for more information. Do also take a look at the rest of the Culture Bar podcast for more on important topics in the arts and music world. See you soon. Music